Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome my guest Anthony Gallucci to the podcast. Anthony is a student in the Masters of Religious Studies program, and he is also the Sustainability Co-Chair. And on top of that, he is also a single father of four. So welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah. So tell me about yourself. How did you find your way to Naropa, and how did you find your way into the program that you're in? Well... Finding my way to Boulder occurred about six years ago. I came out with the children that were here at the time. Came from a beautiful place called Ithaca, New York, and came here um, to experience the West Coast and to see what uh, what that was like. Naropa, um, a few years into living in Boulder, it's hard to not hear about or experience Naropa mm-hmm. in some way through the students or alumni that are still present in Boulder. And through one of the students, I was able to be introduced to a high-end and metaphysical conversation of sorts, and he showed me the way uh, towards Naropa, and I'm glad he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, you are actually the first student I've ever interviewed, so it's kind of like a unique experience to hear about the student journey a little bit, but also, I feel like that happens a lot, where you meet someone who is and or is going to Naropa, and then you have a conversation, and you're like, who is this person? What are they doing? That's how I found my way there. So you kind of found your way the same exact way, too. Most definitely. The funny thing is, I don't actually recall his name, Uh (laughs) but the impact was great. And being at Naropa um, has helped to bridge a gap that I felt when I first moved to Boulder um, Mm -hmm. of, of... lacking community. The student demographic is not the main demographic that the the residents uh, prioritize necessarily. So it has been refreshing to have deep conversations, but mm-hmm. also been refreshing to engage with a youthful aspect in myself yeah. uh, and in others through uh, integrating with the ecology of Naropa. So at the moment, you are in the religious studies program. Can you yes. just tell me what drew you to that? Why did you choose that program? And what is it you're studying? Well, <laughs> I'm studying uh, contemplative religious approaches. Uh, wisdom traditions is what we're beginning to term them. And we do at Naropa take a comparative approach and a contemplative approach. So... My interest in studying wisdom traditions at Naropa specifically has to do with wanting to really engage physically and metaphysically into the material and to begin to actualize principles rather than simply studying them. And finally, to be able to utilize uh, wisdom traditions and the knowledge that comes from them to um, support social change in the contemporary. Religion has been, in our in the United States, has been a powerful agent of organizing in the black community and mm-hmm. in 
many communities. I, I am a person of color, black, uh, Sicilian American. So that part of my identity does add an extra motivation for me to interact with religion in an effort to support social engagement in the black community, um, as well as in the community at large. Studying at Naropa has offered me the opportunity as um, a light-skinned black American to be able to interact with um, a more diverse offering of wisdom traditions than is typically offered in the black community. And I will, I don't just plan to, I will be bringing pieces of this wisdom back to the black community and and other communities at large, specifically meditation and focus on presence are are important components. It's beautiful to hear too, because you're wanting to understand the concepts of the religious studies and the wisdom traditions and to see the fruits that are in there. And then you also want to apply them to the things that you feel passionate about, to the communities that you're in, to the social movements that you like to involve yourself in. And I really like hearing that. And on top of that, so you are also the sustainability co-chair. So can you just tell us like what that actually means and what you do in that role? Yes. In that role, I'm actually doing what I just spoke on uh, to a certain extent. There's two main focuses of that position from my perspective. One is to continue the movements um, that Carl Anthony and, and Plum have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Who are recent but, guests on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Um, and, and, and inspiration to us yeah. at, at Naropa in the sustainability office of sustainability. And Shout out to Mike Bauer. Most definitely. Yep. yep. And Kaya. Mm-hmm. And um, she's the co-chair uh, as well. Ah, so, awesome. So, so Shout out to all y'all. Every, yeah. <laughs> so it's two-tiered. One is to continue the movement of marrying the necessity for social equity and ecological equity. So we, so that's a part of uh, what I'm doing there and, and in a plethora of ways. So not just approaching race, but also addressing inequity in class and how that interfaces mm. with the eco- ecology movements yeah. and discrepancies in um, how we treat folks based on their gender identities and sexual identities. So these there are interfaces with the uh, ecological movements that ought to be acknowledged and engaged with as we as we evolve our relationship with the planet, mm-hmm. our ecology. So that's one pretty hefty focus. The other focus is getting back to the wisdom traditions, which is a goal here is to utilize mostly text-based wisdom of past religions and wisdom traditions to support our virtuous engagement in the sustainability movement in the mm-hmm. contemporary. There's the blog at Naropa, the Pilot Light blog, mm-hmm. has recently published an article to that effect um, in regards to the founding lineage of Buddhism from Tibet and how we can actualize certain principles that are built in to a sacred text of that lineage to begin to have a better relationship with our planet. We, it's The time is is now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah it seems yesterday. like... <laughs> seems like you're involved in like so many different things. You're a full-time student. You're in the wisdom traditions. You're co-chairs sustainability. You are a single father of four. And on top of that, we get to go into our topic, which is... So you also run a group at Naropa. I'm curious, can you just tell us what that group is and how it was established? 
Okay. The group, the name is actually Reestablishing Masculinity. And okay. it is a living group, so the name may evolve as we do. It began by um, <laughs> me meeting with an ally on campus, Ramon Parrish. He's one of uh, our teachers, yes. Yes, and um, and a few other staff members and another a fellow student in the undergrad program, Lincoln Taggart. Okay. And we met to begin to address toxic masculinity with the goal of reestablishing characteristics of masculinity to be virtuous um, and non-toxic. This group was inspired by the reaction of cisgender female and transgender female on campus who had shared their concerns with myself and other cisgender males about the aspects of misogyny that are present at Naropa and are perceived as being present from the foundation of Naropa. People on campus were not feeling heard and acknowledged. And instead of perpetuating a tokenistic and maybe even patronistic approach to engaging in the discussion around misogyny in front of people that aren't behaving as misogynist and in front of people that are dealing with the brunt of the aggression from misogyny, which is mainly cis and transgender females, we decided to take the onus upon people who identify as masculine and take the discussion to those spaces so as not to re-inflict pain, hierarchy, and misogyny and perpetuate it by relying on the victims of misogyny to amend it <laughs> or to continually be forced to prove that it exists to us as members of the of the patriarch and male identified okay one thing i've noticed about naropa is there's been a lot of like movements and shifts and organizations that have arised and a lot of the student body a lot of the faculty a lot of the staff they're always willing and accepting to listen they're always very involved and honoring the students and the voices and that's one thing that I do appreciate about Naropa that I've seen a lot happen and there's a lot of students out there that have a lot of concerns and they're super passionate and I love seeing the passion of them moving forward in the things that they're seeing where they want their work to be established and so I just appreciate you for like kind of just showing up and doing that work you know because sometimes it's not easy to to get a group together and be like, hey, we, we need to shift some things around here, yeah. you know? It's not the yeah. easiest thing to yeah. do. Yeah. So I'm actually curious, like, how do you see the landscape of gender roles playing out? Because within the last couple of years, it has shifted a lot, you know? There's been a lot of conversation, especially on educational campuses, especially on places where there is a lot of cis, transgender people people who label themselves not male or female they have like different labels that they're looking for and people who are not you know willing and or even knowing how to even address this issue so it's like how do you see gender roles playing out nowadays how do you see gender roles playing out in the near future maybe a little bit beyond the future like how do you see oh, yeah. that well <laughs> i see movement towards acknowledging a spectrum based identity format for lack of a better term. And then that progress will then lead to shattering that paradigm. Because even in that, in the spectrum, there's a polarity. Okay, but in the near future, 
I see opportunity for possibilities of, of how to identify to begin to exist into our future. So to me, I'm cautious about this because there are within the binary of a matriarch or patriarchal structures, we've gone back and forth throughout people history here. The Kemetics or the Egyptian, there's archaeological evidence now that there was a, a matriarchal system where the traditional character traits that are associated with masculinity were actually held by uh, cisgender females and, and vice versa. So I do see us eventually getting towards uh, an egalitarian sort of system, which no longer depends on a gender hierarchy to exist. That being said, there's gender hierarchy, which altogether is the problem, is what I'm hearing. And then there's gender identity, which isn't actually a problem. It's when it's forced into a limited paradigm or, or spectrum, it can be an issue, or when it's forced into a hierarchy. So, But I see us eventually eliminating the hierarchy within these systems of identity and becoming more for lack of a better term, more merit-based in our assessment of people's qualities. The Reestablishing Masculinity Group believes that at Naropa, to be foresighted and to support these movements, we need to begin to get out of the way, so to speak, and actually become allies to the anti-misogynistic movements that are occurring in our world. And to do that, we ought to be, we being people whom identify as masculine, ought mm -hmm. to be um, not disempowered to engage in that work. Mm -hmm. We ought to be empowered, in our opinion, to engage in that work. And the offerings that's available of how masculinity is defined and actualized too often is non-virtuous and not empowering. So to begin, we are here reestablishing that conflict and working to take the toxicity out of masculinity because like hierarchy is the issue with gender gender is not the issue toxicity is in our estimation the concern with masculinity not masculinity itself per se mm -hmm. yeah and i kind of dig that too because you are establishing the idea of the hierarchy and then you're also establishing the roles in which people are played and you're kind of understanding how they show up differently, but then you're also understanding how they play into each other and how what is on the hierarchy gets to decide what the ideals are for the populace that are below it. And sometimes it's not serving to the people that are below that who are looking for different identifications you know, so they like are put into a box of what identifications are. And then from there, they are subjected to that when they're like, hey, like, that's not what we're looking for. So I really like that. It's kind of showing others that like there is other voices out there. There is other people out there that want to be identified differently. And they're just looking to ask for that. And also when you talk about toxic masculinity, you're also talking about how I love your approach to it because your group is called reestablishing masculinity. You're not dismantling. You're not saying it doesn't exist or you're not saying like, oh, it's just gross and we need to get rid of it because it's like you kind of can't. That's how we're born and that's how we act. But 
there is a sense of toxicity to it that we need to address. And the fact that we're looking at what's happening and willing to reestablish how you suggest, I really like that. So I guess with that said, can you define what toxic masculinity is compared to masculinity in general? Yes. Just so people and know. Re- and real quick, I want to say one more thing that sure. we're, because um, I can do that by probably going over these characteristics. Groups like this ought to be able to be activated to hold cisgender males and masculinity accountable for toxic masculinity that's beyond the scope of being considered for restorative justice. So things like sexual misconduct and assault, these are beyond the scope of restorative justice from our perspective as masculine. And I just wanted to add that, that we don't hope to be a defense mechanism for the feminine, but we hope to more be an agent of accountability for the masculine, Mm -hmm. if that's fair way to say it. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Other than like waving your finger at someone, you're just like, let's step up. Yeah. And, and and yes. And the way we can hold people and ourselves accountable is through example setting Mm -hmm. and is through how we actualize, um, virtuous masculinity and also the way that we hold people accountable in the United States, which is through money, you know, interacting with people's money or, um, um, other sort of punitive, uh, ways or disassociation from toxic masculinity and just showing showing, not saying, but showing that we are committed to disengaging from toxic masculinity. So what does that mean? What is toxic masculinity to us? And again, I'm going to mostly talk from what I've heard from this group. Um, a lot of stuff I've thought of, but it it does coincide with what a lot of other folks identify as masculine did say in the group. So, so toxic versus non-toxic masculinity in one of our sessions, the group at Naropa, Reestablishing Masculinity, we did come up with characteristics that we associated with masculinity. I'm going to read the list, and as I read it, I'd like people to think duality of these of these characteristics, these traits, that at one time they can be very non-virtuous or toxic, and at one time they can be very virtuous or admirable. In masculinity is this duality, and this is what I'm hearing from other people that identify as masculine is part of our experience that we are unpacking together. So discipline, to be powerful and humble, is a characteristic of masculinity. Protection, to defend oneself and to defend others. Confidence, to be genuine versus forced. Resilient, uh, to be independent Leadership is a masculine characteristic, discipline of a leader, a duty, being responsible daily and long-term responsibilities, assertiveness, helping others and setting boundaries, balance. And as you're hearing these, you're, you're probably thinking, these aren't only owned by, they don't only belong to the masculine, which is true. <laughs> Again, balance, uh, be able to balance life, emotions, uh, to balance the duality of masculinity and what that means and to show up in the virtuous space. Sexual energy, to be a lover, to be healthy and sexually driven, to be a nurturer and consensual, to be driven by consent. Pride, to be proud and able to make mistakes, future-minded, future-sighted. Strength, to be stoic, to be supportive of self and to others. Endurance, to overcome adversary and to not create adversary for others to overcome. Endurance. 
what we did, what we're beginning to do is be friendly, have friendships. Mm-hmm. We, we as masculine are honorable, we're consistent and we're dedicated. And these are things that hopefully inspire a tingle in us. And in the actualization of these characteristics in positive ways, we believe that we will begin to get out of the way and allow our imbalance in this patriarch to heal. Yeah. yeah. I do hear what you're saying because there is this accountability that men need to have for men, you know, like yeah. the brothers need to show up for each other yeah. and to hold each other accountable and to let each other know what's wrong. So it's like if you're in a circle of a bunch of people talking about some things and you're not like feeling that conversation other than just walk away or just put your head down, like say something, yeah. you know? Have accountability for your friends and for just some random people. It's okay to like say what's up. You got to be virtuous and we have to shift the narrative. We have to shift the idea of what's happening with people because, you know, like sometimes like what people say, they don't even necessarily believe it, but they perpetuate the toxicity of it because they just think it's like something cool to say or they just think it's something that other people wanting here and sometimes it's not sometimes it's it's like not who they actually want to be but they're just saying it because they just want to be accepted or whatever and they just think it's a normal thing and that's the thing is we need to shift is it's not normal that's not cool you need to like be virtuous you need to like talk about the things of quality not the things that are gonna get in the way of people who are trying really hard to live their lives the way that they feel called to we need to like rise everyone up and so i love this idea of reestablishing like what masculinity is so i'm actually curious like where do you think the concept of toxic masculinity came from do you know where like maybe not where it came from but you know cuz this is a this is sort of a new topic that we've established and we've labeled and it's probably been around for a really long time and there's probably been hierarchical structures that have allowed this to continue like how new do you think this subject is and where do you think we can like go from here well to that point i wanted to add one more thing about the inclusivity of the group and so forth but okay i believe we are following we are piggybacking or following off in the footsteps of the matriarch of the Black Panther Party, of Septima Clark uh, in Southern, you know, voters' rights activist. And um, we're, we're following in the footsteps of, of Betty Friedan and Harvey Milk and people that have pushed the boundaries in regards to uh, gender identity and, and what it means to be free. So those are the people in the United States that we are following in the footsteps of most recently, as a cisgender, as cisgender males, we have not been encouraged to, or forced, to visit the ways that misogyny impacts our lives and the lives of, of the feminine. So, and more recently, we've had a pushback in the United States that's referred to as the Me Too movement and the Black Women Lives Matter movements and the Latinx Women Lives Matter Indigenous Women's Lives Matter, and so on. And these movements are reminding people who identify as masculine of the importance of addressing toxicity in it. In my opinion, 
we know as, uh, you know, I am, I should have said this earlier, but I am a cisgender male who mostly identifies as masculine. Um, the roles that I uh, exist in are stereotypically feminine. And that's because of the single father role is what you're speaking yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the, like care- the caretaker role? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the traits have been put into the, the basket, so to speak, of, yeah. of feminine traits. In my opinion, we know as cisgender males that we have access to certain entitlements that we did not earn in the United States. We know that we are, quote unquote, able or privileged, even though I'd argue it's not a privilege to hurt others or to gain things that you haven't earned. So as a father, a privilege to my children is something they've earned. If they get ice cream, Ben and Jerry's on the Pearl Street Mall on Saturday, it's because they've earned it with quality academic and social engagement. So I did not, as a cisgender male, do anything special or extra to earn more money per hour than cisgender females and transgender females. I did not do anything to deserve access to so-called privilege, to be able to hurt others and have it be advocated for, condoned, and perpetuated. So I recently meet where the Me Too movement and the Black Women's Lives Matter movement connects with what I believe we know is that it's enabled or empowered, in my opinion, cisgender males who identify as masculine to to have this opportunity to do what we're doing here and reestablish masculinity. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for these cisgender-initiated movements, cisgender-female-initiated movements, for their empowerment. I do not believe that the cisgender male would be able to do the work we are beginning to do without those movements. Then that leads me to one more thing. I I do not want to say that we are dependent on those movements to begin to reestablish masculinity. We have taken the baton and we will get out of the way. Mm -hmm. We will is the hashtag that I recommend (laughs) because we hear you. If you're listening, we hear you. And please know that everybody is welcome to participate in this process at Naropa that is engaged in the Naropa community. That being said, as I said earlier, the onus is not going to ever be placed on people that are the victims of masculinity to reestablish it. I just wanted to make that abundantly clear. This is not an exercise in the oppressed educating the oppressor. Yeah. And I like how you say those other movements are not making this movement happen, but they are informing and they are a reflection and they are, they assist. It actually just allows us to know like, Hey, maybe there is something to be looked at over here. So, so people who actually don't get it, they can have a moment to reflect that like, okay, well, a lot of these groups of women are saying something and they should be heard and they should be listened. And this group is a reflection of it being heard and saying like, all right, we hear you. There's something to be worked at right here. So with the understanding that toxic masculinity occurs and it's here, like with our current situation, how do we redefine and reestablish legit masculinity, like actual masculinity, holding the woman and holding the male together and redefining it so we eradicate the toxicness of it social change 
uh, transformation is often talked about in a duality, right? Of top down or bottom up transformation or movement. So I guess I'll stay within that paradigm for a moment. From the top down, we have, it appears quite dismal with Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh and the plethora of examples of toxic masculinity being rewarded, quote unquote. I am, however, aware that that's not the dominant, it's the dominant narrative, but it may not be the dominant circumstance. We have people like Governor Jared Paulus, who is doing work around this and is beginning to, from a top-down approach, influence infrastructure in a way that might empower cisgender males to have a less toxic relationship with the planet Mm -hmm. and with money and maybe as a result with each other. So moving away from a more rigid conservative political system, which is perceived by some as a more square masculine based system to a more inclusive system, not more gentle, but more inclusive system is work that will support people who identify as masculine in embodying the characteristics with virtue rather than with toxicity. Full disclosure, though, I do not have faith in a patriarchal system to work from the top down to alleviate the discrepancies in our creed that have us actualizing misogyny. I want to give credit to people like Governor Paulus, um, and I want us to urge them to continue to do that work. Um, And people that have been elevated justifiably, which is pretty rare, but or unjustifiably to positions of power, cisgender males in those positions, please continue to hold them accountable and and push them. But don't, my recommendation is not to oversaturate yourself with relying on the people in power to implement these changes. So that's social from top down. Social engagement from bottom up, I would say, is going to be seen in seen through um, activities like this. This group, in my opinion, mm-hmm. so this group is different than some of the other groups that occur in Boulder. Which um, one? It's it's occurring in a patriarchal system. It's recurring within an academy, which is Naropa is unique, but it's still within this structure mm-hmm. um, of academies. But it's more, it, we're, what we're doing here is a collective re-establishing. And to me, this is the bottom-up approach where we are meeting on an interpersonal, in an interpersonal fashion. We are bringing in examples of what it is to be virtuous and masculine. We are formulating ways and then creating opportunities to actualize this and uh, virtuous masculinity. And not only that, we are actualizing it within the group itself mm-hmm. when we meet. So that's how we are beginning to do this from the bottom-up approach. We're at Naropa. <laughs> we do believe that a healthy spiritual praxis is can be supportive to abolishing toxic masculinity. And in our group at Naropa, we do set aside a period of time for contemplative synthesis of this conversation um, and these actions. So yes, we ought to be with our families, uh, in our individual spaces, we ought to be reestablishing masculinity with how we interact with our daughters, with our sons, with our aunts, with our uncles, with our parents. And what we're doing at Naropa is the collective aspect of that. 
to actually answer your question, we need to not just say that we hear that this is toxic from cisgender males, from cisgender females. This is not just say that we know this is real. In my opinion, because we know that we are implementing a system that's hurting all of us, because we know, when I'm talking about misogyny, because we know that we are have access to things we didn't earn, we know that we are being lazy. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on, from my, in my opinion. And in the work at home, in our bathrooms, when we look in our mirror, we really need to be, even if it's just when we're alone, stepping it up and stop being so lazy. I know people talk about, oh... We, need to, we don't know how to exactly do this or we need to have a plan or a, a strategy or we need to have actions offered to people. I believe that if all of us actually stop, if cisgender males who identify as masculine stop accepting our entitlement as virtuous, then we will begin to disassociate from it and dismantle it, dismantle the, the toxic aspects of it. We just, while that work is being done, we also believe it could be helpful to see the light at the end of this journey um, and how it will ultimately benefit us all. It doesn't seem like an easy issue to articulate. So when we are bearing witness to some toxic masculinity in our lives, whether it be a reflection upon ourselves which is probably like the harder version to see or a reflection of it seeing with other men that we are engaging with or just like some friends, what are some things we can do to shift that environment in the moment? Like, so when you're noticing it happening and you're just like, Oh wait, there's this thing that we're talking about. Here's a, here's a toxic moment of masculinity. Like what could I do to shift the moment or the environment in which we're in? public setting yeah so say like you're in a circle with a bunch of friends and like someone says something that's pretty not okay with you and with the general public in general like how do you go about that do you address it do you take this person aside do you publicly say something like what's a good way to approach that well a good way to approach that is to address it and in addressing it we ought to be sensitive to the specific person we're addressing. So that being said, being sensitive should never supersede the urgency of sharing a passionate moment of accountability. So in a moment, you're in a classroom, something misogynistic is said by anybody. As someone, as a cisgender male who identifies as masculine, Mm -hmm. I, I believe you are empowered to verbally acknowledge it and say, hey, is there another way that we could share that message or, or your intention or, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, or is there another way you could articulate that? Another th- question is, was your intention to come off as misogynistic? So accountability and education, I believe is part of this process. And when we're structuring classrooms, one little thing that we do in our group that might be helpful is we do what's called a uh, oops and ouch. Mm-hmm. That don't sound silly, but so if you say something in the group, that once it comes out, it, you, you think, oh, shoot, that's going to be highly offensive to anybody. Mm-hmm. Then you have a moment <laughs> to say, oops, you know, to be held, be given a, a moment of space to reestablish your thought so that we don't hold up our progress. Yeah, you you're, know? Not, you're not like, this is what I actually was trying to say. Let me, let me rephrase that. Yeah. 
And then we don't get and, caught in in a side conversation. No, uh, it's an important one, but it, but an aside about the offensive comment, yeah. and we can get to the nature of what we're addressing. And it's a good tool um, because sometimes, as you are trying to articulate something, you get a little caught up, and you're like, "That's not what I meant to say." If you do say something and you don't, and you're not in a space to notice that it's offensive, other people in the in the group are able to say, "Ouch," and they're given a moment to, if they'd like, if they want to consent to explaining mm. it, they can. Yeah. And if they they don't have to, they can just say, "Ouch," and it is suggested that you rearticulate it. Or, yeah. um, and if you're not willing to rearticulate it, then you are given space to think of of another way to yeah. interact or something like this. If so, um, if someone yes. says, "Ouch," to something. Yeah. And the person who said it was actually be like, well, I don't think that's ouch. Do you ever have a moment where the ouch, they get to like explain that out? Because sometimes, you know, like our minds are set and and who knows, like maybe you do say something that you really do believe in and someone says someone gets oversensitive to it and they say, ouch. And the person's like, well, I just think you're being oversensitive. And do you have a moment of dialogue where you're able to explain the ouch versus the this is how I feel. Yes, and I'd like to give a little shout out to Naropa in this case because okay. Naropa does offer um, what we won't just call safe spaces, but I'd call brave spaces, which I've heard from a few mm, people on campus, nice. so it's not my term. And in that, yes, the follow-up would be part of a brave space. Now, there's a limit. You know, physical safety is a priority in our group. And what's also important is a collective purpose and intention. So those conversations can get threshed out and those disputes can get threshed out in a mm-hmm. space where you have trust and trustworthiness. Yeah. And that's why, you know, friendship and, and camaraderie, this mm-hmm. is a major part of what we're doing um, at the beginning processes of this group. And anybody who is doing these things, I recommend that because to build that relationship is fundamental and in that in itself is an act of reestablishing masculinity in our opinion such a sticky little topic we're just getting into and (laughs) and i really appreciate you creating the group and allowing space for men and i'm sure you allow women and anyone who identifies with anything else to come in that group and just explain themselves or just explain the environment in which they are in and able to give information of like what we're looking for, what we're not looking for. And it's just, it feels very interesting nowadays to just have all this be in the forefront to this actually be a topic. And this is something we need to figure out. And I love that you are labeling it reestablishing because we're not trying to get rid of masculinity. We're trying to redefine what is allowed and what isn't allowed. How do we work with and what isn't workable, you know, cause we're definitely redefining a lot of different things in our lives. And this is just one of those things. And it's kind of like the root cause of a lot of other things. So if we can figure this out, then we would eliminate a lot of the stuff that we're also trying to figure out at the same time. It's just, just be a good person. Understand that people want to be people like they want to live their lives to the fullest that they feel called to. And so do you, you know, we just want to do our thing. And so, like, I just really appreciate you just coming in and speaking with me about this topic. And is there any, like, last words you want to say before we go? We are future-minded in the sense that we do see a time in the not-so-distant future where we have an egalitarian gender structure 
and where people are free to identify as masculine or feminine or as part of a spectrum. And that identification in itself will not mean that they are signing up or identifying as an oppressor or an oppressed person, but it'll be wholly a gender-based identity. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was it was such a pleasure to explore. Not always the funnest conversation, but oh, no, to, a lot more to, do. To, really, <laughs> to really get in there and to see what's happening and to see the work that people are doing because there's something to be worked out. So I just appreciate you speaking with me today. So thank you so much. You know, thank you. I would like to thank my guest for being on the podcast today, Anthony Gallucci. He is a Masters of Religious Studies student and also the co-chair of the Sustainability Program. And he is also a father for doing the good work. So thanks again. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.